The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This is the Freedom's Disciple podcast. I am your host, Jonathan Dunn. This is the show exclusive to the Blaze where you come for the accent, but you stay for the principles. And today, the accent's actually a lot better. The last couple of weeks has been a bit rough, huh? Um, I know last week um, I had to pretty much end the show fairly abruptly because my voice was just, it just went. Apologies for that. So we have a jam-packed show for you today. If you're listening on Saturday, happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy the day the world celebrates with Ireland. Um, No one understands the meaning of St. Patrick. It's just a day now to, you know, have a bit of fun, get drink, get drunk, um, turn everything green. Um, The original meaning is gone. But if you're listening on Saturday, happy St. Patrick's Day. If you're listening during the week, um, I hope you're getting ready for Easter. Today's a jam-packed show for you. I want to talk to you about a lot of things. I want to talk to you... I want to ask you a a philosophical question about freedom later on. I want to talk to you about foreign policy today as well, because there's a lot going on. And the world is... The world is not in a healthy place, shall we say, from foreign policy point of view. And lastly, I'm going to talk to you about two stories, one from France and one from Hollywood, or from LA. And it's big government gone crazy. And I want to bring, draw the parallels for you and show you why big government doesn't work. But where do we start today? Well, for the first time ever, and if I may make a prediction, if I may get in Glenn Beck mode, if I may make a prediction that for the last time ever, I want to talk to you about something I've never done before, Hollywood. And I want to talk to you about the Oscars. Now, before your eyes glaze over, this is the first time, and I say, if I may make a prediction, this is also going to be the last time I talk about Hollywood on this show, unless something major happens. But I want to talk to you today, not about the Oscars and and all the things that Jimmy Kimmel said and all the speeches and all the, the different hypocrisies of the left. I want to talk to you about something that I've seen happen, that happens Time and time again through our history, that happens through our human experience. So what did you see a couple of weeks ago at the Oscars? If I may be so blunt, you saw what was entirely predictable. What happened at the Oscars and the way people acted prior to it, during it and afterwards, was as predictable as a movie script that you see on the movies. It was as predictable as that. What happened was... You're getting Hollywood getting caught up in lecturing you. This happens for two reasons. One, in my eyes, because so many of the people who are there believe the hype. Believe the, you know, I'm a superhero. I'm an actor. I'm important. You know, everyone's asking my my opinion. So everyone must, I'm important. I'm critical. And then they get the sense of worth. 
through people asking them their opinion, people looking up to them, people wanting their autograph, plus all the money they get. They get this entitlement, this self-worth of, well, I'm just more important than you. You know, like, when were you, you know, common Joe listening to you? When did anyone ever ask you for your autograph? You know, when did anyone ever give you 20 million to, 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 to star in a movie? They pay me that all the time. I wear the best clothes. I'm just better than you, so naturally, I, I, I have this life deal down so much better than you. And then because there's microphones, well, what do you think about Donald Trump? It's, 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 it's hilarious. You see all these people, well, what do you think of Trump? It's just putting a microphone on. Can you just say the most insulting thing about Donald Trump that you can? Thank you very much. Next, what do you think of Donald Trump? So there's, there is that. There's the, the superheroes. They're larger-than-life characters. They have the big bank balances. They just think they know better than you, which is complete bog, hogwash, baloney. I have to watch my mouth. I'm sorry. But the second thing, and this is what I want to focus in on today, humans' action through our world is sometimes the most illogical if you follow its consequences. Let me give you a quick example. One of the common threads through bullies, if you ever see people who have bullied people in the past, they all have a common thread. They usually are bullies because they've been bullied themselves. Now, logic, the way I see the world, is if you've ever been bullied, the last thing you would want is someone to go through the pain you went through. The last thing you would want is to see someone, if you were really badly bullied, You'd kind of go, wow, that was a really bad time. That was really horrible. I was really upset. I was really, I just went through very bad emotions. I don't want anyone else to go through that. That's the way I see human logic. You want to avoid pain. And you want to avoid giving it to someone else. Humans don't really think that way. Humans are like, I feel pain. I feel really bad. I want someone else to get it. I want them to feel it. I want them to feel what I had. When people face a major crisis... When people face a major obstacle, when people are have this big environment of really bad actions or inactions, because inactions are just as bad as actions, they have two choices usually. They can come to you and say, "I'm be humble and say, I apologize. What I did was disgraceful. Or what I didn't do was disgraceful. Or you option B. You can be the exact opposite of hum- humble. You can be the, do the exact opposite of apologize and beg forgiveness. And you can be arrogant. And you can lecture others based on your experience. Humans choose option two so many times. And that's what Hollywood is doing. You know, I've listened to some of these interviews with some actors I actually like. I've, I, I'm, I like certain actors, their work. Not their people, their work. Honestly, and let me be blunt with you, and let me say something that might get me in trouble with people, because I, you know, there's we are regulated of what we can and can't say in the air. If I had a sister, or I had a mother, or I had a daughter, and they were in Hollywood, and even one percent of what was said happened to them, chances are I'd be in jail because I would have gone and tried. I use the word "try" to beat the ever living crap out of a director, of a screenplay writer, of an actor. You don't treat women that way. You do not. You have respect. 
But Hollywood hasn't done this. We haven't seen actors going, apart from like the likes of Kevin Spacey going, I'm sorry, and I think he issued like a, he issued a fudge result and said he was hiding behind his sexuality and all this blah, blah, blah stuff. But people who have, you know, have come out and said sorry. But the industry hasn't. The people who have said, you know, well, I always knew Harvey Weinstein was a bully. I always knew he was a bad cookie, but I didn't think he was capable of that. And everyone's just giving them a pass. Hollywood, if it had any sense in human logic, would go, look, we've had this experience. We've been speaking about promoting women's values all these years, and we haven't done it ourselves. We apologize. We need to look inward. We need to get our house in order before we can lecture anyone else. That would be human logic. But, again, like I said, human logic and humans don't go in the same sentence altogether all the times. So what do they do? They don't want to be humble. They don't want to apologize. They don't want to look inward. They don't want to do a period of introspection and self-reflection. No, 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 no. See, I'm so much better than you. I'm in Hollywood. I'm I'm an actor. I'm a director. I'm worth a million dollars or ten million dollars. I'm so much better than you. Why do that? No, Hollywood, no, they're arrogant. They'll lecture you all day long on women empowerment. They'll have all these hashtags, all these fancy movements. We'll even get a tattoo on our arm. Time's up. We'll forget the apostrophe, which I thought was hilarious. But that's human nature. That's Hollywood. But is Hollywood so bad for acting that way? Or is Hollywood just merely like everyone else? Look at your political leaders today. Look at our political leaders. And I'm going to focus in on three Americans right now. And I'm going to focus in really heavily on one of them. Firstly, let's start at the top. Donald Trump. When has he ever been humble or apologized for anything? This is a guy who promoted in his campaign last year, he never begs for forgiveness. When has he apologized? Or is he just perfect? Has he ever apologized for anything he's done wrong? But I want to move on to another politician who I'm going to really focus in on. The head of the house, Mr. Conservative. Mr. I'm so cool, I'm so hip, Paul Ryan. When has he ever been apologized? The reason I want to focus in on him, because if you're a long-term political, you know, been around politics a long time, I know it's not now, but there was a time Paul Ryan was very conservative. There was a long time ago when Paul Ryan actually spoke the most sense in D.C. If you go back to... 2011, 2012, you listen to Paul Ryan, and I know a lot of people's eyes glazed over with some of the interviews he did, but from someone like me who loves economics, they were fascinating interviews, where he was talking about entitlement reforms, spending reforms, where he was talking about, you know, reform and social security and saying, we have to do this by 2014 or 2015, or we're going to hit this financial crisis and we're never going to get past it. And conservatives are like, yeah, absolutely, we need to do this. This is something conservatives and Republicans have been begging for. It's 2018 and Paul Ryan is the Speaker of the House. Where is the Paul Ryan from 2012 who was giving all these warnings, who was so economically literate it seemed? Where's his? Where's his humility? Where's his apology to saying, I tried? He's now in the top seat in the House. He is in the one part of government that actually controls spending, something he spoke about for so long, so long. Yet he's silent. 
The House controls the power of the purse under the Constitution. I know the Constitution is something we don't talk about anymore or we don't care about, but that is the power the House holds. You are in charge. You have all the power. You're the Speaker of the House. Where's his humility? Or would he just go around arrogant lecturing everyone? Well, we need to do this. And then I'll move on to character number three in the American politics, Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell, well, we just got to show the American people we can govern. Mm-hmm. By the way, stand up job at that, because how many bills have you passed for this president to sign? Huh? Great job in the Senate. You're doing such a swell job, just showing the American people we can govern. I know I made him sound a lot more excitable and more energetic than... I, I can't do voices, I can't do impersonations. That's Pat Gray, who does them to a T. But that's Mitch McConnell. You know, we just got to marry the American people we can govern. Where's their humility? That's just three, the three figureheads, the Senate leader, the House leader, and the President. Look at all the politicians. Do you see anyone in D.C. who's humble? Anyone. Do you see anyone apologize? I, I got elected. I really tried to fight for these values, but I failed. Do you ever see any politician say that? They go on all these mandates. You're going to see them there in the next couple of weeks, up to the next couple of months. It's 2018. It's the midterms. You're going to see all these campaign promises. We're going to do this. And if you elect me, I'm going to solve this. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to be your champion. All these campaign ads of all these people who've ran, and you know, even from Ted Cruz to Rand Paul, who were there four, six, eight years, to people like Todd Cochran, who were there since 1862 or whatever year he started, to John McCain, who was there in 1791. All these promises they've made. I'm going to be your champion. If they ever come back to you and went, you know what, I really tried. And even if it was genuine, look, I really tried to do X. I tried to build a wall. I tried to cut spending. There's just no interest in DC. Have you ever heard that apology? So what we all get argue and get upset about Hollywood, and rightfully so, I'm not saying you shouldn't get upset. Hollywood is eating its own, and it will do that, and it will continue doing that. I wouldn't pay any attention to the lectures, but I'm just looking at society today. But let's look at ourselves, shall we, for a minute. When was the last time we did that? You know, one of the things I get, the, if I was to argue one of the, or to, you know, take a, a statistics of, of my public presence, the one thing I always get feedback most from conservatives on was last year I got a lot of feedback negative when anytime I said anything bad about Donald Trump. But the other thing I always get bad feedback is when I talk about defend the youth of today, where I dare say, don't talk down to the youth today, that there's hope there. Don't talk down to them. Inspire them. Try and reach out to them. And I always get, well, why should I try and reach out to the youth? They're, they're just all these, they're onto social media, John. They're onto just, all they want to do is texts and sext and, is it sexting? Whatever that is. You all figure that out yourself. You know, or they just eat Tide Pods. Or they're just a bunch of hippies. They're snowflakes, John. Let me be blunt with you. I don't, I don't get angry at the kids today. I feel sorry for them. In fact, if I may be blunt, I think we owe kids an apology today. Yeah, I said that. I think we owe kids an apology today. Because it wasn't the kids who said, you know what, it was a great idea. Let's get America $20 trillion in debt. Let's get America to a point where it's up to $150 trillion in unfunded liabilities. That wasn't kids. That was us. 
It wasn't kids who said, you know what? The Fourth Amendment, you know, you don't have a right to be secure in your persons and your papers. You know what? Let's just have FISA courts and, and, and spy on everyone. That wasn't kids. That was our generation, previous generations. We can insult kids all we want. It wasn't kids who said, you know what? Let's get off the gold standard. It wasn't kids who said, let's set up the EPA. It wasn't kids who came up with the term Hispanic. By the way, there's a common theme that's running through all these. Because to others who think, well, it's just Democrats' fault, all the teams I'm running through right now, big budgets, Fourth Amendment, Hispanic, EPA, getting off the gold standard, that was the Republicans. I know the Democrats are bad and they're just the enemy, but there's a lot of bad things in the Republican Party as well. We have a choice. And the, tra- the sad thing about this world, the more I see and study this world... There is no middle ground anymore. We are either going to get things really, really right and have a great future, and our future will be freer than man has ever been free before, or we are going to rot an eternity that's called tyranny. And we will either have a selectant of tyrants, or we will have ASI as our tyrant. Our choices are that simple. There is no... I don't see a way the world can just kind of just saunter through life the way it has at the minute, the hybrid of, you know, we have a bit of freedom and a bit of socialism and, yeah, a bit of fascism at times and, yeah, a bit of politically controlled and, yeah, we'll have all this and we just coast on through. I don't see how that happens. There's too much bad stuff going on in the world. We will either be freer than we've ever been free before or we'll live in tyranny. So the question I have for you is who do we want to be like? Who are our role models in society today? Is there a place for George Washington in our world today? Is there a place for George Washington? Because if I may say something unpopular to you like Donald Trump, he did something last weekend I thought was truly shocking. And while I was shocked that he did it, I was even more shocked at the reaction to it. At a campaign rally in Pittsburgh, he he mocked it, you know, about him being presidential. He said, I'm so president, and he mocked it, as if being presidential was a bad thing. But this isn't a Donald Trump thing, this is a us thing. Who do we want to be like? Who do you want to, as Americans, want to be? Do we still have a world to be a George Washington? Do we still have that? Do we still want that? Do we still want men who actually have a purpose and then leave do we want a man who sets up and says when he's been given asked the commission to be the leader of the continental congress he says i do not find myself fitting or worthy of this honor do we do we actually want someone like that or do we want someone who comes down and go yeah i'm absolutely worthy of course i should be the leader of the continental army who else would you choose i'm george washington damn it do we have someone, do we want to be like Martin Luther King? Do we want to have a dream? Do we want to march arm in arm and peacefully? Or do we want to demand things and be angry? We have two choices right now. And this is, whether you're Democrat, Republican, Conservative, Liberal, this is when you're talking politics, this is when you're talking faith, this is when you're talking in your everyday lives. We can be humble, we can be quiet, we can self-reflect, 
we can focus on what we need to do better and become better people. Or we can continue being arrogant and lecture everyone else and think we have this world and this living thing down, that we are all of a sudden somehow an expert and we have the right to tell other people how to live. You know one of the reasons I have my philosophy the way I do? Let me share something with you, a bit of inside baseball. There are many reasons I believe what I believe. Whether you agree with them or not, there are many reasons for it. One of the reasons... I have a philosophy of just leave people alone and let them do it. Because let me be honest with you and let me be blunt. Life is really hard. Life is hard. I look at my life and I make mistakes every hour of every day. I make more mistakes than most people, most of you all listening combined. Life is hard. Not only is life hard, life will find ways to kick you in ways you never thought possible. And all you can do in that life is just... Not let it get you down. Just keep moving forward. Life is a mystery to me. I can't find a way how I... I struggle with my life. I struggle every day with my life, as I know many of you do. How can I have some moral idea that I can say, you know what? I know I struggle with my life. I really struggle. But here, I'm going to tell you how to live yours. Would you listen to me? You shouldn't because I'd, I'd be the first one to say, go fix your life and then maybe come and tell me how you did it. And then maybe I'll listen to you. That's why I say leave people alone. Because I know life is hard. Life is tough. I can't fix my life. So how can I fix yours? I struggle with my life. How can I tell you how to live? That's the question we have for ourselves right now. Which do you choose to be? Do you want to be humble and self-reflect and be the best you can be? Or do you want to be arrogant and lecture everybody else and tell everyone else and act like you're some Hollywood superstar, some superhero, that you know life, you have everything sussed, you have everything down pat, you have your life perfect, and therefore you can worry about how other people do it. And therefore lecture them on what the best way to live is. I know which path I choose. I don't want to lecture anyone. In fact, if anyone has any advices on life, I'm all ears. When we come back, I want to ask you a philosophical question about freedom that links into what I've just been talking about. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network. What are you even fighting, Nancy? Everybody's on board except the American people, and we don't matter one iota. Nobody's asking us. Nobody's asking us, hey, what would you like to see done here? Let us know. Give us a call. Tell your representative what it is you'd like to see done with the Dreamers. And for me, nothing right now. Pat Gray. Weekdays from noon to 3 Eastern. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Freedom's Disciple On Demand. On the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. Man, I have to say it's great being back with my voice. Last couple of weeks were were really hard. So I, I appreciate everyone who tuned in. I hope you still enjoyed the content. 
I want to ask you a philosophical question about your freedoms. You know, around the world, I, I see people, when I talk about America and, and the idea of America to other two non-Americans, I always get this, well, we're free too. We, we have freedoms too. And people have these, this convoluted version of freedoms. And one of the things I've noticed, and I see this in America as well, I see when I talk to some of my Democrat friends, they have some belief in freedom. You know, everyone loves to talk about freedom. Even Karl Marx spoke about freedom. It's, Karl Marx speaks about a perverted kind of freedom, but he speaks about freedom from the bourgeoisie. Freedom is a very powerful word. Everyone loves to think they're free. But there's a difference between being free and actually living under your tyranny of freedom. Because everyone, when I say this to people, people don't understand, they always go, how can you have an idea of freedom and be a tyrant, live in a certain type of tyranny? Let me explain to you. And here's the question I want to ask yourself. And think about this over the weekend. Can you name the freedoms that you dislike, that you fundamentally are polar disagreeable to, that you do not like, you do not respect, and you never want to see happen, but you'll support their freedom to do it. So many people have this version of, well, I like this type of freedom, and I don't mind people doing this thing and, and X, Y, and Z, and because it belongs to it's my idea. It's my idea of freedom. But that's not an eternal kind of freedom. That's just your version of it. And you just happen to call it freedom. Ireland has this. Ireland, if you ask the Irish people, they go, we're free. You're not, but you, they'll call themselves free. Even in America today, Americans love to say they're free. I can make an argument and I can make a very compelling argument how Americans are not free today. And I would just make, if you were curious what that argument would start like, I would go through your Bill of Rights and say, which of them still exists in truth? If you want a fun exercise, go through it and see how many of them are still absolutely true and have not been trampled on. But back to the question. Name the freedoms that you dislike, even if you cannot stand them, even if you think they're morally reprehensible but that you support their freedom to do it. I'll give you some of mine. That, just to maybe help you think, just to get you in the mindset. So one of the things I think are, I think one of the stains on this world is drugs. I know people are not going to like this, but I've seen the impact of drugs. I've done a lot of charity work. I've never seen many drugs that kind of go, yeah, they're totally harmless. Can some people just have a, a joint and just get there and just live that? Sure, I'm sure they can. But I've seen people start at joints and, and get onto harder drugs. I've seen them decimated financially. I've seen their health be decimated. I've seen their, their impact on their society, on their family. It, 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 I've just seen it firsthand and it isn't good. I am drug free. I have never taken drugs and I never will. But does government have a right to tell you you can and can't do something? Nope. Should drugs be illegal? Without getting into the whole discussion of that, because that's a whole new show, but no. If you're a free and sovereign person, I might find it wrong, I might disagree with it, I might think if you're on hard drugs, 
you seriously need to have a a bit of a wake up call and and have some self reflection. But self reflection is not a thing we do in this world, really, is it? But do I support your right to do it? Yeah, you have a right to do with your body what you want. Once you're not impacting other people. Another example is speech. I've seen speech in America that I find the most vile, the most reprehensible, the most disgusting. And I'm like, oh my God, do they have a right to say it? Absolutely. Example this week, and it's actually good to see people highlight this guy, because this guy has been a bad guy for as long as I can remember American politics, Louis Farrakhan. I've seen Louis Farrakhan say some of the most vilest, sickest, I can't can't say some of the words I'd actually like to say, but you can fill in the blank stuff and i've seen him say this not this is not a i've seen him say it in the last week or two weeks three weeks four weeks or even a year i've seen lewis farragon say some of the most vilest stuff for the last five ten fifteen years guy is not a good guy do i have a right to shut him up no as much as I might want to, as much as I, I could fool myself into going, but John, it's Louis Farrakhan, come on. People like him should not be able to say the stuff they say. But you, do you have a right to free speech? Do I have? Am I better than you? Do I have a right to tell you you cannot say something? No. And this is where I'll annoy a lot of my patriotic friends. As reprehensible and as disgusting, as much as it makes my blood boil, when I see people burn a flag, I want to... Uh, well, I said it earlier on, so I may as well say it again. I want to thump you. Especially an American flag. Do you have a right to do it if it's your property? Yes. I think you're not a good person. I don't want to have anything to do with you. But... We have to have these discussions. We have to put ourselves in uncomfortable positions. And I'm choosing things that will annoy you offhand, but I want you to think this weekend. This is where I'll even get you even thinking even more. This is the beauty of the American system. People always go, why is America so great? Why do you love America so much? Because it's a system of government that works. It's the exact opposite. I've explained this on many times, but the system of American government is so great that you actually have a position where in America you can practice socialism if you want to. It's called federalism. If you want, if you actually understood Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution, and you actually understood the federalism process, and you went, look, I get that, and I respect the founding fathers, and I want that, but I live in Boston, Massachusetts, I think socialism is the way to go, and then you run on a socialist platform, and you want to make Boston, Massachusetts, and Massachusetts the socialist state in the world, because you are so determined, socialism has it down pat, socialism is the answer. The American system of government gives you that right. It gives you that power. Go through through the states. And here's the thing. If actually people did that and Massachusetts turned into this great utopia and socialism, everything I've said about socialism is wrong, people would follow. If Massachusetts proved it would work, People like Connecticut would probably try it. People like Pennsylvania might try it. People like California might try it. And then all of a sudden you have a collection of states. That is all constitutional and it all is true federalism. People have a right to do things. Even if I I despise socialism, I don't need to tell you. I hope you understand this. I think socialism is wrong. I think it's immoral. 
But you have that system of governing America where they can do it. But the socialists in America, the people who believe in big government, have totally destroyed the Tenth Amendment, have totally destroyed federalism, have totally destroyed state rights, that they only can cease socialism through the uh, federal government and through the presidency. Another example, marriage. This might shock you. It shouldn't. I'm a Christian. I believe marriage is one man and one woman. Do I support gays getting married? Absolutely. They can get married. They can do whatever they want. They are free people. Just, I don't want the government involved in any marriage. I don't see the point. I don't see what benefit it is to, and let me be blunt, let me speak to Christians. What benefit any Christian gets from the government saying, yeah, you two can get married. You now have a marriage license. I've never understood that. Especially as a Christian, when you understand that a marriage between one man and one woman is a love and a bond where you're declaring your love for each other before your family, before your friends, but before God, and you are joining in that union before God. When you read anything in scriptures about marriage, I don't see, well, and you join your friends and your family and God and you come together and you're one man and one woman and you're now connected for life and the government says it's okay. I'm trying to get you to think, and I don't know if I'm doing a good enough job or if I can do it. The reason I did this question for you today to think is to push you up against a wall and make you get uncomfortable. Because so many people today I see are very comfortable with freedom when it's something they like. Let me just focus in on speech. When people say things they like, I like Donald Trump. And if you say that to people who love Donald Trump, they're very, they're okay with that. If you say, I hate Donald Trump, I think he's a tyrant, I think he's a, I think he's Hitler, disguised. And you say that in front of your, people who hate Donald Donald Trump, that's totally okay. It's the speech we don't like. It's the speech we find vile. It's the speech we find disgusting that it gets hard. It's like, should they be allowed to say that even if I don't like it? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Do we believe in freedom as eternally principles, like your founding father spoke about? Or do we just believe in our version of freedom? Our version of what we would do, or what our side would do, or what our political party can do. That's the, the, the vision of the glasses we wear freedom on. Or do we look at the real thing, the eternal principles? I'd ask you to spend some time this weekend, if I may, just five minutes, and find some principles of freedom that you dislike, even stuff you hate. Flag burning. I hate flag burning. I wish no American would ever burn the flag, especially when, when you consider what it's represented. Everything it has done, especially when you consider the history of all brave men and women who have raised that flag as a symbol of freedom and hope. I think it's disgusting. But do I have a right to tell you you can't do it? Maybe it's just me. I can't find I, I can't find it in me to tell you I can't you can't do that. I can't find a logical way for me to do that, even if I dislike it. So find some freedoms that you dislike, that you even despise, but that you will support. And I think it's apt we finish this segment with a saying. 
my philosophy was informed and defined by this man, and especially by this quote. And it's a quote you've heard, but sometimes it's not attributed to him. It's Voltaire. I may despise what you say, but I will fight to the death for your right to say it. That is real freedom. You will fight to the death to let someone say something you find disgusting, to find repugnant. How many people today would fight to the death for let, to let someone say something they disagreed with? Or would we just go, well, I disagree with him, so he doesn't have a right. They don't have a right to free speech. I'm not going to fight for them. Because if we don't fight for free speech for stuff we don't like, what's the point in fighting for free speech that we do like? Is that not the very essence in some way, shape, or form of politically correct speech? The politically correct speech that a lot of Donald Trump supporters don't like? Just something to think about. When we come back, I want to talk to you about foreign policy. Because the world is changing really rapidly and we got to talk about what's happening, what's happened this week, and what we're going to do about it. When we come back, America, don't go anywhere. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Disciple on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. I want to delve into foreign policy with you for a few minutes, if you don't mind. If you've been hearing, if you've been following the news this week, there was a, a very serious incident in the United Kingdom this week. Um, there was a couple of people. I'm going to really butcher these people's names wrong, but Sergei Kripala. And his daughter, 33-year-old daughter, Yulia. Um, I'm red, dreadful at names. You've, if you've listened a long time, you know this. But they were in Russia, and they came back, and they've now had... They're critically ill in Salisbury District Hospital, which is a district of the United Kingdom, and they've been poisoned. There's been a lot of people caught up in this, and as I'm saying this, there's a new report out that the, the local police person who was there and um, there's there's a chance the traces of this poisoning he actually brought it back into his own house so that the sphere could be even bigger it might be nothing uh, but it there's chances could even get be spread more and if you've been following the news and it's been up on the blaze all week you've been following since last friday the de- advancements um, the uk is taking this very seriously prime minister theresa may has come out and said very harsh words um, Boris Johnson, who is their like Secretary of State, shall we say, has come out and you know condemned this attack, and they're basically saying there's only two outcomes that they can find possible for this attack. One, it was undertaken by Russia, which is a violation both of um, it's an attack on the UK sovereignty, but also it violates international law because it's a chemical attack. It's not just a normal attack; it's a chemical attack which violates international law and norms even more. It's a very, very serious attack. Or option two is Russia was careless or negligent with this chemical. Someone stole it from them or took it from them. Russia told no one, and there's other people involved. 
I'm recording this show Thursday, so it's going. It seems to be leading more towards the case of Russia was involved. You, this today on Thursday, all the world leaders, um, Theresa May, um, the French President Macron, Angela Merkel, and even Donald Trump have come out and sort of said, "Look, it's looking like it's Russia. We've seen the evidence. It's not good." Russia is denying this. Russia's playing politics. And in fairness, if you want a good laugh, if, especially if you've been following world events and you've been following, you know, Russia's history, the Irish, the Russian ambassador to Ireland came out today and, and I heard him give an interview and it was like, this is nothing more than propaganda. And which I had to, I'm sorry, I had to break out laughing because there's certain words Russian people shouldn't use, especially Russian diplomats and politicians. Accusing someone else of propaganda is a little rich coming from a Russian um, diplomat. Just a little. But it's setting up to be really bad. So let's just park that story just in one corner for a second. Just park that in the back of your mind. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go do your own research. If you go to UK sources like the Daily Mail or the Guardian or the Independent, you'll read up all about it. Um, Google the Salisbury poisoning. It's also on the blaze. There's a lot of content on it there. But let's just park that story just just in one place for a minute because I want to make a broader point to you. Over the last week, you've seen Donald Trump um, talk about North Korea. And he's now, they're they're in the process of setting up a meeting between Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un. And if I was to guess, I would say this meeting will probably happen in China, it will happen on neutral terms. There's a lot of mixed feelings about this. There's a lot of people saying you should meet with dictators. There's a lot of people saying you shouldn't. Um, There's a lot of people pointing out conservative hypocrisy on it because of what we said under Barack Obama when he said something similar in 2008. If this is not a question of whether we shouldn't meet him or not, or whether you want to meet him or not, but just you have that incident. I'm making a bigger point here under foreign policy. You're having a situation where North Korea's situation has kind of died down, but it could, if that meeting doesn't happen or it doesn't go well or they don't agree, or it's just anything, you know, Kim Jong un being a dictator that he is, he could change his mind and throw a spanner in the works. It could simmer up very quickly and ratchet up very quickly. So that's the second story I wanted just to put in the side of your mind. The third story is a story that is coming out, and it's going to start coming out over the next couple of days. Saudi Arabia is having some financial problems, and it's trying to appease. I'll be honest with you. I don't know what's, hap- if what's happening in Saudi Arabia is really positive, and it's, it's wakening up to certain values, or if it's nothing more than a PR stunt. I haven't, I've been doing research. I'll be honest with you, I haven't made up my mind. It could go either way. But this crown prince, you know, he's obviously allowed women drive, and he's over in the, he was over in the UK doing a big publicity tour. He wants business, and he wants to have stronger business relationships with the Western world, and Britain is one of them. And he's, he's doing a lot of propaganda. The, there was a load of biller, uh, billboards up in the UK visit saying, you know, Saudi Arabia is a great place to visit. Saudi Arabia is a great place to do business, and we want to have stronger relationships. This week he came out because he did an interview with 60 Minutes over in the UK, I believe, or in the US, sorry. It's going to air this Sunday. But one of the things he did, he called the Ayatollah, the Ayatollah Khamenei of Iran, he said he's the new Hitler. Interesting. 
But he also said something else which is very interesting. He said, why this country does not want to acquire nuclear weapons? If Iran developed a nuclear bomb, we will follow suit as soon as possible. If you've been following the Middle East foreign policy over the last three, six months, you're seeing the underlines of there's a hell of a lot more trouble coming. But the House of Saud is placing itself the exact opposite of Iran. So there's three stories. Russia and the UK. North Korea and America. Saudi Arabia and Iran. The world is at the precipice right now. It is at a precipice of things could go really, really badly, or maybe people are stepping up to real evil. The reason I'm bringing these three stories together, and again, I'm going to say something that is terribly unfair, and I apologize in advance. America must be the leader in these cases. America must be the leader and the voice for freedom. We need good guys to root for. When I look at Russia and the United Kingdom, the United Kingdom is a good ally, but it's a democracy. We don't have a whole lot of shared values. We have this shared vision of some version of freedom, but if you believe in American founding principles, they don't. The Conservative Party in the UK is like democratic light over there, or like the Republicans, maybe. They don't share values. It's very hard. You look at Iran and Saudi Arabia, and that one, I have no idea. I, I know I don't like Iran. I really despise Iran. I do not like the Ayatollah. He is not a good person. But Saudi Arabia, I'm like, I don't know. It could go. This could be the great enlightenment in Saudi Arabia, or it could just be all a pure move. I don't know. I know historically Saudi Arabia, again, this is not an unpopular opinion, especially in Republican circles, Saudi Arabia is not an ally of America historically. I know there's many people who tell me I'm wrong about this. I don't see them as an ally. I see them, I don't think they're an enemy. I wouldn't put them in the same category as Iran, but they're not, a, they're not an ally. But if the Middle East starts getting crazy, if North Korea starts acting up again, if this case with Russia gets really bad, what's going to happen to the world? What is going to happen to the world? And are we willing to pay these consequences? Because have we thought about what a world looks like where any of these kicks off? Let's just run through them really quickly. I see, I've talked to some Americans privately about North Korea, and it's frightening to me that so many people are not taking North Korea seriously. I've, I actually had one person say, look, yeah, John, I'm not worried about North Korea. And I'm like, why not? John, we're the U.S. Army. You, you, you have military friends. I have military friends. We know exactly what they're capable of. They'll go kick their butt. It'll be a, it'll be a whitewash. And I'm like, that's that sounds wonderful, but have you studied the geographics of North Korea? Have you understood what will happen in a war? No? Well, then maybe you might want to start, because while America will win, and there's no chance America won't, that's not the issue. The issue is how much civilian life that you will have. And while I think part of this is because of the Iraq war and Afghanistan war, because... 
so many people just see war as you've been in war for what 16 years now and they just see yeah it's sad and they see but they don't see uh, they don't see 10,000 people dying a day they don't see 50,000 people dying a day they don't see 1 million people die in a couple of days if you have a war with North Korea that is what you'll see North Korea has some strategic advantages in terms of not to win, to cause a lot of damage. If you understand the geographics of North Korea, you understand it's a very mountainous country. And they have these silos that they can launch missiles from. Now, am I saying they'll win? No. But they have major opportunities because it's so mountainous. It's not going to be a piece of cake for America to pick those missiles off that they may get a missile to Seoul in South Korea. They may get a missile to hit Japan. You're talking about massive amount of innocent lives. But even let's say that none of that happens. And let's say you go in and you destroy all the military. They have one million troops who are going to go through the decentralized zone and invade South Korea. And if their pride is hurt, their king, their god, because King Jong-un is a god to them. You've heard stories, if you've done the research on this, where doctors without borders have gone in and helped people see again, and they didn't thank the doctors, they thanked the dictator for their king, their dictator, their champion, King Jong-il, the father, for letting them see again. They thanked him, not the doctor who helped them. If they find out their king, their god, has been beaten... What do you think is going to happen? They're going to be really ticked off, really upset, really emotional, and they're going to run across and cause a lot of damage. And I don't care if you are one of these Democrats who thinks, you know, well, you have all these high-capacity military weapons and, and war weapons, and, and they shoot 36 bullets every second, which I saw was one of the clips, which is hilarious. 36 bullets in a second. Just, just unbelievable ignorance on that part. But even if you believe you, these guns can shoot 36 bullets a second and you have a load of people, it takes a lot of bullets and a lot of time to kill a million people. You're going to suffer a lot of casualties. Let's go on to Russia and the UK. All this talk, tuk -tuk, tough talk sounds wonderful. It's actually nice to see people still actually understand Russia is a fundamental enemy of freedom. It's refreshing to see. Kudos to Donald Trump, to Theresa May, to Macron and, and Merkel for calling Russia out. Kudos. But am I, ex am I expecting anything much else to happen? No. Why? Because it didn't happen last time. Putin has annexed Crimea from the Ukraine. The Ukraine is still a war zone. No one talks about it, but it's still going on. He actually annexed a part of a country. He violated international law. The world was silent. Or the world might have written a nasty letter. I don't know. Maybe it did write a nasty letter. But it didn't change anything. Are we willing to see a war happen between Russia and the UK and Europe? World war... Let me give you a spoiler alert. Wars in Europe don't go well. A lot of people die. And in case people are just thinking this is just an isolated attack, what's the big deal? The tensions have been ratcheting up over the last couple of weeks and couple of months between Russia and the UK. They've had close calls with bombers, with Navy ships. Russia is sending people into Russian airspace, or into UK airspace. There's a lot of these stories. It's starting to ratchet up. Who? I know who we're going to root for on that one. That's easy, the United Kingdom. 
America's ally. And they at least have some semblance of freedom. And Russia is so bad. The Saudi Arabia and Iran. The question I would ask you today is, we need to stand for freedom. And we need to start having leaders and good people who we can stand with. And we need to be the leaders of example in our community. Not sharing our vision of freedom, but sharing eternal visions of freedom. Because you're living in a world right now where one little event could happen and tyranny could really spread. Fear could spread. But people might be, and just in case you're listening, kind of going, he's talking about free. John's talking about freedom, but then he's talking about foreign policy. Where do them two mix? Why is it so important we are voices of freedom in foreign policy? What happened after 9-11? What happens after 7-7? What happens after terrorist attacks? The rights of the people are trampled. You will have arguments time and time again of you just need to give up a little freedom for more security. You just need to give up that little bit more freedom. Just We're here to protect you. Freedom is losing. We need to have conversations about, we need to stand up to these bad people, but we also need to have a vision, a vision of freedom, and have a set of principles we are not willing to violate no matter what. Because the principles we stand for, if you're a conservative or you're a libertarian or, or you believe in the Bill of Rights, these are rights that you say come from your creator. They're not my rights, they're not your rights, they're everyone's rights. If we don't stand for them, who will? They're eternal. I started off this show by saying one thing. Who do you want to be? Because the way the world is going, we are only two choices. We will either be freer than we ever will before we'll overcome these enemies, or we will succumb to the Leviathan. And we will live in the tyranny that man has never seen before. That's just three foreign policy examples and for me when i see these stories i really understand we need america to be at its best and when i say at its best i mean that beacon of hope and liberty for the world i don't mean who's in the white house i don't mean about who has congress i mean what principles your people will stand for what you will fight for what you will live for, and what you will always be. I know people don't like when I say this because it's not fair. The sad truth is America is the only nation who can do it. We need America to be standing tall and be free and prosperous. But we cannot have that if America continues to constantly, with their vision, promote their version of freedom. And continue to trample on the Bill of Rights and the Constitution and ignore the Declaration of Independence. I don't see how you can be that beacon of light if you do not fundamentally know your principles. And if someone on your side violates those principles, you must speak out. Something to think about. When we come back, I want to share two stories with you about big government going crazy. One from Hollywood, or sorry, not Hollywood, I keep saying that, L.A., which is really sad, and one from France 
Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. The Glenn Beck Program. Stop caving in, Congress, to income inequality. It's Marxist rhetoric. Do what Reagan did. Lower the taxes and spark the economy. There are 320 million of us. There's only 545 of them. It's time to remind them who's in charge. For too long now, we've been beaten down, believing we don't matter, that your voice doesn't count, that we can't do anything. It's a lie. The Glenn Beck Program. Freedom's Disciple On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. I want to finish up with two stories. You know, I know, because you tell me, I do annoy you when I talk to you about little things that you don't think matter or you don't see the big deal and people have said, you know, you, you get angry or, you know, frustrated with the smallest things. The reason I do this is because I live over here. I live in Europe. I understand the European big government mindset. I've experienced it my whole life. And the thing about progressives, utopian status, whatever word you want to call them, socialists, Marxists, whatever word you want to call them, is they never start off with this vision of tell the people, here's where we want to go, and it's a utopia, and we want to get here. They know people won't go for that. What they do is they very slowly move the bar. They get government involved, bit, and a bit more, and a bit more, and a bit more. And then it becomes we're involved in everything. The only way you stop that progression happen is when they start getting involved, you say no. And also, I, un- I see it so many times, especially in Ireland and England, where government grows when it's your side in power. And we're silent. I've seen people flip-flop on amazing things that they're like, we can't support this, we can't do this. Their side gets power and all of a sudden, well, I'm going to be silent on that. I know in the past I said you can't do this, but now it's my side to do it. I'm okay with it. There's a story I want to share with you from France. There's a French baker, right? Guy's 41 years of age. He runs a small bakery in a very small town, and I'm going to butcher this name as well, uh, Lucening Sun Paris. Um, I'm sorry, dreadful. Just a small town in France. He runs a small bakery, and it came out this week that he was fined the equivalent of £2,600, which, give or take in the exchange rate, is about $5,000. Now, if I said to you, there's a baker who owns his own business, and he was just fined $5,000, what do you think? What comes to mind? What, what violation, what code did he violate? Oh, I, I bet he, he wasn't using the right yeast, right? Or, you know, his, his hygiene wasn't up to scratch, or, you know, he wasn't separating the, the wheats, you know, from the gluten and the non-gluten. You know, he was, he was doing something illegal. He was doing something really bad, right? He wasn't paying his staff the right amount of money. He was, he was abusing them, right? These are, might be some things you might come to, to the inclusion of he's been fined $5,000. I 
He's obviously done something wrong. No. This guy's crime, Cedric's crime, was, and I quote, working too hard. He received the punishment because he dared open seven days a week during the summer of 2017. There's a very strict employment law in the country, and it still views a day of rest essential for everything. Now, there's some Christians who probably look at that day of rest. God rested on the seventh day. Businesses should too. If you have a business, isn't it your right to decide how you run your business, when you run your business, and how much you work? This is what they do. They start small and they get big. But there was one of the lines in the article I read that they want. Because the impact of this, in fairness, the town has rallied around Cedric and said this is wrong. Because they understand, you know what, we actually need him. He's a small baker in a small town. We rely on him for like baguettes and croissants. And if he closes that day, we don't have baguettes and croissants and we don't want that. And also, if people are if people stop buying him, he wouldn't have to open the seventh day. So there's clearly as the man for his services. But in the in the case, they have a strict attitude towards work. And here's a quote for you: We seek to hold, uphold the 35-hour work week, and informally guaranteeing long breaks for lunch and the whole of August off. That's one of the quotes from the thing. I find that ironic because if everyone had the whole of August off, the whole country would stop. There would be no baguettes. There would be no milk. There would be no croissants. There would be no panna, chocolates. And that's not a good place to live in. So when people say to me, why do you get upset about tariffs? Why do you get upset about government getting involved in the business? Why do you get upset about you know Donald Trump defending the steel industry? He might have the best intentions in the world. But you don't have to always look at things true. Well, Don, I trust Donald Trump. I like Donald Trump. I don't see what Donald Trump would do wrong. I don't worry about that. I worry about Donald Trump getting involved in business with maybe with the best and most purest intentions in the world. And a Barack Obama, a Hillary Clinton come and go, ha-ha, well, he started it. We're now going to take it a mile more. And then eventually you get to a point where you're suing a business owner for working seven days a week. Which is kind of ironic because the reason people like me who think taxation is theft and don't like income taxes, the reason part of that philosophy is because I don't want you working for the government. I want you working for yourself. I want you providing for your safety, for your future, for your future growth. I want you working for yourself what I find ironic is they're like, no, no, you can only work six days a week. You know, you need a day off to rest. We don't want you working too much. But when it comes to working for the state and paying 30, 40, 50, 60% income tax, they're all okay with it. Then they have no problem with you working. In fact, they want you to work because they need you to work. We have to be the people who stand for free markets and make the argument of free markets and no government involvement in business all, every time, regardless of the party. Because if we don't, eventually, it might take five years, it might take ten years, it might take fifty. But eventually you get to a point which France is, France is at right now, suing a baker for working seven days a week in peak summer period time. The second story I want to share with you. I think I may have shared this story with you a year or two ago, um, but there's an update to it. 
I think I did share the story, and it was a story of an individual who looked at the problem in the world, and it's in, I keep saying Hollywood, but it's in LA. A person who went, you know what, there's this problem we have, and I'm not going to wait for government to fix it. I'm going to fix it. And what this story was, if you understand the demographics of LA, LA has a large homeless problem. And in fairness, in not in fairness, but to put things into context, it's not all LA's problem. And what I mean by that is a lot of people move to LA who are homeless. And the reason they move is because if you just think of this logistically, if you're, let's say, homeless in Chicago, it really sucks three, four, five months of the year where it's really cold. Whereas if you can get to LA or climate warmer, you have this system that, you know, at least it's climate warm, you know, you don't need 10 duvets, you know, you can survive, you can survive the Californian winter outside. You can't really do that in places like Chicago, especially the Northeast right now. You look at some of the storms they're having right now. It's really bad. Someone, someone was telling me on Facebook their friend lives in Rhode Island, and I think they said 22 inches of snow. It's a lot. I know, I know this. That's a lot because Ireland came to a standstill over about a foot, 12 inches. It just went the whole country shut down for like a week. So 22 inches is a lot. But this guy said, you know what? I see this problem. LA has this this uh, problem of housing the government isn't doing anything i'm sick and tired of looking to the government to do stuff this guy called elvis summers basically what he did was he built these little structures and i'm sure you've seen the story it was amazing it went viral a couple of years ago it was these little they look like sheds and he gave them out to people and they had solar powered lights and they were basically structures just to stay in one place and it was given one place a room, there was like li- very little in it, there was like a sink, uh, a bed, just somewhere for them to call home, get them in off the street, and give them ownership of something that they can say, this is mine, and to help them, and to give them that bit of more security, because there's a there's quite a bit of crime towards homeless people, because if you're seen as weak, you know, a lot of people will rob you, especially if when you get your, che- your, your government check. So you went, I want to give them a place of security. And I I thought this was a wonderful idea. It was like, this is the America I love. This is the America I think champion. This guy just going, the guy who's Elvis Summers, I'm not going to wait for government. I see this problem. I can fix this. I am going to fix this. I'm going to make a difference in my community. And he he went through a lot of uh, fundraising and he got a load of houses. Wonderful story. Uplifting story. Just something to celebrate. Well, there's an update. I came across it. Um, Hat tip the LA Times. Basically, the government isn't happy with this. Um, And there is a logistic problem, which we'll get to in a second. But they've impounded several structures. Um, And they said that they they sent notified the, the people that they'd be discarded. They're destroying these places. Which, you, as you can imagine, just if you can try and picture yourself, you're a, a, a homeless person and you're really struggling for whatever reason, whether it's your own fault through you know gambling or drugs or whether you've just hit bad time and lost your job. And you've just been beaten down in life so much. Life has just kicked you. And this guy comes along and you see your government, even if you just think you're a big government, you're looking for your government to help you, you're going, please help me. And along comes this guy, Elvis Summers, and he gives you a shed, a shed-like house. And I remember at the time, it was so annoying. One of the complaints was, well, it looks like a shed. 
It's too small. How can you have a standard of living in there? I went, you're talking, getting about someone getting a homeless person off the street and you're complaining about standard of living? They look comfortable. They Were they the, the Ritz? No. But, you know, let's start with baby steps here. But imagine you're that homeless person and this guy comes along and you now have your own structure. You have your own place to call home. It's not nothing great, but it's yours. Your home. You're secure. You're somewhat warmer at night. It's something that you can say is home. And the government has ignored you and now the government is now taking it away from you. The councilwoman, Curran Price, who represents one of the neighbourhoods these structures are in, said the houses pose serious health and safety risks. I'm getting complaints from constituents who have to walk in the streets to avoid them. They also are saying that they have to destroy needles, drug setups, and they've had a gun seized. (gasps) A gun! Oh my god! A gun seized from one or more of the houses or tents during an earlier cleanup. Now, Let's be truthful about this. Is there concerns about these houses? Like you can just put them anywhere? There needs to be some involvement in the state that you just don't have. Like if you can imagine your housing estate, just let's be let's be real about this. You have a nice housing estate, or you live on a nice road, and then all of a sudden there's this structure. You don't know who's in there, you know, people if they're clean, if they're dirty, if they're gonna make a mess of the street. You know, it, there's certain logistical issues that have to be taken into place. But the government haven't tried to work with these people. They've just went, no, we're taking them. And you have to take them as well. Now, there has to be some way. We need to get to a point where we need to understand there are major problems facing this world. Homelessness is a problem in America. It's a problem in Ireland right now. There's a lot of politicians talking about it. It's a problem in the UK. Homelessness is a bad, bad thing. My heart goes out to them. But we need to help them. How do we do that? If we have people willing to step up, heroes demoting, devoting their own time and their own getting money and building these little houses and trying to empower them, that should be something we should celebrate. We shouldn't be taking it off them. We shouldn't be putting up roadblocks for that. We shouldn't be saying, no, you can't do that. We both as people and as government should be saying to each other, how can we make this problem better? How can we work And maybe set up a place where we can put all these houses. Where we have better vetting of who gets a house and who doesn't. Because if someone is going to have drugs or is going to be a prostitute, that's going to cause an issue. Have a conversation. And let's not have a conversation based around politics. What's the Democratic talking points and what's the Republican talking points? How about we just have a conversation? People's lives have been affected. This really frustrates me because I live in a country and there are generous people over here. There's no doubt. There's generous people everywhere. I've seen some amazing generosity from Irish people. But I have also seen the opposite side where people look at generosity and look at charities kind of go, I don't need to give you any money. That's what I pay my taxes for. The team of today's show has been about freedom. Who is going to step up? Are we always going to be looking for governments? Are we always going to look to our superheroes, our our Hollywood actors? Are we going to change the world? Are we going to be the people who step up? 
and understand that government has a role at times and let's try and encourage them to inspire them for them to fill their role not to be putting up roadblocks we need to start having conversations we need to start having conversations not about politics but about how we solve these problems as this story in la broke my heart it's turned from a wonderful inspiring story which i spoke about a couple of years ago to a story that just really really annoys me now we can get annoyed and i could go on a big rampage and go you know that french story of the the french government they're stupid and the french people what do you expect i could go along and demean them i could look at this story in la and go ha, well that's democrats for you that's that's you know that's what you get when you elect a democratic governor and a democratic congress and you know it's just democrats it's california it's wacko land what does that do i'm so tired of that it's democrats what do you expect you can't have a conversation with democrats john well i'd rather try than just have a defeatist attitude and give up because people's lives are at stake people's futures are at stake i started this show by asking you a question who do you want to be who do you want to be who do you want to be as a person and in some ways who do you want to be as a country I can't answer that question. I don't have the right to tell you what who you need to be. I'm not an American, not one of you. I don't have that honor, that privilege, and likely never will. What I can tell you is I know who I hope you will be. You have an amazing future ahead of you if you wish to embrace us. If you wish to embrace what made you exceptional. A framework of government that limited government. A framework of empowering people. A framework of principles that made you exceptional, that made you stood out from the world. I hope you become that people again. I hope you... Get over the negativity and the hatred that you so openly share with each other and towards each other on social media. And where you find your unum. Where you ignore and understand that what you're doing right now is French revolutionary politics. Where you only care about brotherhood. Where you care about sides. And where you get to a point where you return to an American principle of e pluribus unum out of many one. I hope you get to a point where you understand the true greatness of why I finish the show the way I do each and every week. America is great because Americans are good. I say this, you cannot get to a point where you're great if you're not good. I don't see any mathematical way, principle way, logical way, or any other way that you can think of to get to greatness without being good. I'm sorry to tell you that. But who do you want to be? Who inspires you? Do you want to be the country of George Washington, the country of Thomas Jefferson, the country of Lincoln, the country of Reagan, the country of Coolidge, the country of Martin Luther King? Where goodness, where greatness, where humility counted? Or do you just want to be on a side? The question is, is yours. Your actions or your inactions, your words or your silence will define who you are and who you are as a country.
The choice is yours. Who do you want to be? I know who I'll be. I'll be the voice that will always continue to try my best, even if I fail, to inspire and encourage you to be the country I know you can be. To be that country that I fell in love with 25 years ago. To be that country that I still love today. Your greatness is still yet to be written. Your greatest chapter is still on a blank page waiting for you to write it, if you choose it to be. And I will do everything to encourage you to write that new chapter of greatness. Not with about a politician, not because of who's in the White House, but because of who you are as a people. And because of the difference each and every one of you make. That is who I will try my best to encourage and inspire you to be. Because I know the choice, if, you don't, if I don't do my little part... I'm trying to encourage you, to inspire you, and you continue on this path, you will just be like everyone else. You will just be like France. You will just be like Germany, where you have brotherhood, where you have tribalism, where you become more and more like a democracy, where you become more and more where it's all about who's in power, whether it's a good political party, whether it's my side or not, and it's nothing to do with your people or nothing to do with your principles. That cannot happen in my eyes. I hope today's show has given you something to to ponder and reflect on. As always, we finish this show the same way we do each and every week, by saluting the real heroes in society. I don't mean sports stars. I sure as hell don't mean some Hollywood actor. But by saluting the men and women who serve 24-7, your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. Especially your vets, because they might have a tough time coming up. Especially if what happened in the foreign policy segment, if any of that comes true. But lastly, I salute you, the great American people. America is great because Americans are good. Never forget that. America is great because Americans are good. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, we're on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play Music, Stitcher. Share it with your friends every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. Have a beautiful and blessed week. And in case you didn't miss it, happy St. Patrick's Day. God bless you all. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. The Blaze Radio Network.